guys, I'm Bharti and welcome back to Startup Yoga with me. Today we have one of my own personal mentors, Kate, founder and investor at Arrow, which is a startup school and micro fund for promising female founders. Kate is a highly experienced person who has given 15 years of her life building startups. She's also a founder of Indie Labs, an alternative startup conference aimed at bootstrappers, self-funded companies, and profitability-focused founders. She loves talking about the indie way, freelance economy, regional entrepreneurship, remote work, and more. Let's hear her inspiring journey and discuss funding for women, importance of mentors in the startup journey, and everything about how to make your startup successful. So welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, let's begin with some fun mm-hmm. facts. So you're not from Australia. You were in the U- uh, UK before and the US. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, sure. So I was born in England and then moved over with my family um, when I was 10. And then we went to a place called Albury Wodonga. So I left, you know, um, it was kind of similar because we went from farming England, r- rural England to um, regional Australia. And then I moved to Melbourne when I went to university and then lived in Melbourne for a while and then went over to the States with, you know, startup work uh, for about seven years. And I lived in San Francisco and New York. Um, but before going over there as well, I was a digital nomad. So this was about 2010, 2011 and uh, had been in kind of went to Berlin, you know, um, we're going to Bali, a lot of those kind of places and was working from a laptop for a while um, and then came back to Australia in around 2018 as part of the Queensland government's um, anti-brain drain. So this is this reverse boomerang. Um, they're called boomerangs, people who go overseas, get some experience and then come back. Um, and then I came back then and then um, in 2019 moved to Masson Ranges. So have lived all over, but I am, in fact, an Australian citizen and I've lived probably most of my life uh, in Australia, but I still have a strong accent. <laughs> all good. OK, awesome. So um, given that, you know, you've traveled so many different countries mm-hmm. and, you know, you've had a fair bit of experience in all of them. Um, tell us about your first job and um, how did you land up becoming, you know, a startup founder then from the first job? Yeah, so my, I mean, if we go right back, my first job was actually working in a bakery. Um, That was when I was 15 or something. So, um, you know, making coffees and uh, slicing bread and all this kind of stuff. So um, I think, and well, actually before that, I was an assistant tennis coach. So I I feel like everyone, everyone should go get some sort of early job. But I'd say my first proper job was um, as I was finishing my Bachelor of Science, I didn't really want to go work as a scientist. Um, so at the same time, I was working in retail at Bed Bath & Table. So while I was at you know, university, just help pay for um, living expenses and things like that. Um, but then I ended up going to work at their headquarters and I really was interested in becoming actually a buyer in, in homewares, which was you know through that experience. Um, but all throughout that, when I was working there, then I became um, 
a journalist. So I was kind of working on the um, buying, you know, the buying side, but like the retail side, getting experience there with marketing and then got really into um, just writing and magazines and things like that. And then that's, but the reason why I share that experience is because that's what's exposed me to entrepreneurship because after a short stint working at, worked at a bridal magazine actually. Um, and then I went to work at marketing magazine a marketing mag is, um, you know, one of Australia's largest purely focused marketing trade publications. And while I was there, I started a meetup, like one of Melbourne's first meetup called Social Mel, where people would get together for working from the digital communities. And it was through that that I got exposed to a lot of entrepreneurs. And um, that's how, you know, I kind of started getting into it. So I wanted to create businesses and have freedom and start consulting and things like that. So it was kind of like an accidental entrepreneur. It's not like I grew up when I was one and I had a lemonade, you know, stand and got told that I wanted to be Richard Branson. It was a very much kind of serendipitous. Marketplace, a recruitment marketplace at a very young age. Uh, what inspired you to make that or how? Uh, tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, with Cloud Peeps? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so... Um, Started my first company after I started the meetup. I kind of got a taste for just starting things. And uh, then I started the fetch.com, which is a professional event discovery platform. And it started out as a newsletter. Um, but that was trying to put, you know, order into all these meetups and events that were going on. Um, and then while I was doing that, I was a solopreneur and needed help because I was kind of working, you know, needed kind of to scale, but not necessarily in a position where I could hire all these people. And at that point in time, there were only sites like freelancer.com and Upwork was called Odesk and Elance before they merged. And they were very much around outsourcing as this kind of you outsource for a few dollars an hour and you get someone who might not have um, the most amazing kind of cultural understanding of your market or um, English might be a second language and all this kind of stuff. We are talking about um, maybe a decade ago now. Um, but it was to kind of go, well, I know all these freelancers. I'm a freelancer myself, and I know all these businesses that want to hire freelancers, but there's no kind of quality matchmaking platform. Um, that, And especially focused on uh, non-technical, because a lot of uh, those early verticalized marketplaces were focused on hiring developers and things like that. So started Cloud Peeps. It was originally focused on community managers, um, and social media managers, and then soon kind of expanded to have all marketing, digital kind of talent. Um, and uh, I think in marketplaces, it, I do feel like I became a little bit of a marketplace expert in a way because I was, um, you know, in the thick of it, running a marketplace, understanding all the dynamics, all the challenges and things like that. And I think um, they're interesting businesses to run um, and operationally heavy, take a lot of levers, but we can go into that as well. You indeed are an expert. Um, so with Cloud Peeps, you also raised some funding. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yes. So um, with Cloud Peeps, definitely was started with the aim that I wanted to raise funding. So I bootstrapped the fetch and done a crowdfunding campaign, but then with Cloud Peeps, I wanted to raise and um, then I had like a co-founder join me on that journey, um, also was wanting to raise and things like that. So then in 2014, started raising an angel round. And um, I mean, I can go into all sorts of tips and 
you know, all that kind of stuff about raising. But one of the things uh, was we raised a lot from um, fellow founders and then founders who liked what we were doing, who their investors too. So it was an age around. And I actually did a rolling close. So it was a, about a million US in total. So it's probably about 1.3 AUD. Um, but that was kind of taken in over about 12 to 18 month period. So uh, the largest part was, you know, in the Vance, but it was kind of all part. And actually, I never really announced the round because it was just kind of focused on um, what we were building and things like that. It was only kind of years later that I was, you know, we raised this much and we're doing this kind of thing. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and it also is interesting because it was in 2014, 2015, which um, the tech community's come on a lot um, since then. But for a female-founded company to raise money then uh, was very rare, and especially yeah. to raise, you know, a million plus, um, it was uh, quite a success to even do that back then because um, it was hard to get trust, especially if you were two female founders or, you know, just solo female founders teams that they all kind of didn't get as much cash as if you had a male co-founder. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting journey. So is is this the reason that you started Indie Labs and Ato or what inspired you to actually start these two companies? Yeah, well, that's absolutely, you're correct, because through running Cloud Peeps, um, I became a, a really decent franchise with the startup community. There's a couple of factors but behind um, the why. One was what I just call the peak of the on-demand economy uh, where I was living in San Francisco. So I was in San Francisco spending about $4,000 Australian per month on a one-bedroom apartment. And, you know, there was a huge rising homeless population. There was a huge kind of income inequality and divide between people getting in you know, expensive cars and ordering donuts on demand. And then this kind of, you know, teachers and people being um, kind of priced out of town. So I was kind of like, I got into tech originally with the idea of doing things good or making a positive impact on the world. And that I, that was kind of like showing me that, oh, and no, you know, as long as you go big and make a lot of money, I call it the growth or cost model. You know, it doesn't matter about people or it doesn't matter about, the environment, all that kind of stuff. So that was one thing. But then also just being a woman CEO and just the level of um, ongoing kind of scrutiny and comments and things like that, that I would get all the time. And also at that stage, I was thinking, oh, what if I want to have a family one day? And I remember chatting to a bunch of people about that and getting a lot of negative comments like, oh, you know, you should have an exit before babies. And I'm going to get a T-shirt printed saying exit before babies and things like that. And then um, people saying, oh, you, you know, you shouldn't have kids and do a startup and all this. And there wasn't many um, examples at the time. You know, we've got examples now like Bumble and, you know, Glossier and all these kind of companies, really visible CEOs that have had kids. But back then there were no real um, examples. So I thought, felt like, okay, well, here's all this like hostility if you want to have a life and be a founder. Um, that path uh, is... Um, kind of murky or do you want to uh or if you want to do good and not have the growth or cost model um and so that kind of all led to this uh philosophy of kind of the indie way and then coming up with going okay well I think that it doesn't have to be one way or the other it actually can you know you can kind of have a global ambitious company and still 
you know, be based in a regional area, be based back in Australia or um, have children or have flexibility. I, I don't think it has to be binary. Um, and I wanted to change that from the education level. So the next generation of female founders coming through weren't told the kind of same things I was told, which is like, oh, you know, if you're not growing at 20% a month, uh, month on month growth, you're a failure. Or if you don't have a technical co-founder, you're a failure. Or if you're not in TechCrunch every week, you're a failure, you know, or if you want to uh, spend the morning not in meetings and go have more time with your children, you're not a failure. Yeah. So it was all trying to kind of um, get to that where actually that you can be successful and run a great company and do things your way on your own terms. And that's how Addo started. Plus there weren't any pre-accelerator programs um, or female founded uh, accelerators that were around when I started it. Um, and plus there was only one remote accelerator that was Techstars Remote. Um, at the time, uh, the COVID obviously hadn't happened. So the fact that we were running a remote accelerator program was we were like one of two or three in the world to do it. And of course, COVID changed a lot of that. And now there's a lot of support for female founders as well. Definitely. So COVID definitely has changed a lot of things for everyone across the world. But having said so, yeah. do you think the cliche of, you know, having babies and getting married or, you know, doing a lot of other things on mm. the side still is a problem for women um, or is, mm. has it become comparatively easier for them to raise funding now compared to what it was uh, 10 years back? Um, I think the industry's changed remarkably 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, I was basically like one of the only women in the room. And when you're in the room, you know, you'd get comments like, I remember I was at a Y Combinator Melbourne meetup and was just talking. And then this guy's like, oh, you sound like you know what you're talking about. Like just even surprised that I was there wow. and I was <laughs> like a, the girlfriend or whatever. Um, and then, um, you know, when I was raising as well, it was like uh, I, I, even people would say like, oh, they don't invest in women. Like one, uh, we applied for an accelerator program and one of the previous founders, a male founder was like, oh, they just don't even back women like that. You know, we were told stuff like that then but of course now you know there's exponential increase in support for women and it's you know there's a lot of women that raise while pregnant or go on to things things like that um so I think it is a lot uh better um I still think it's hard I still think there's a lot of challenges I still think a lot of people go unfunded I still think that the startup community in general can be quite clicky and closed off, even though people, you know, try and have initiatives to let people in. I still think there's a lot of um, closed doors, right? And that's one thing I've always been, uh, I've always been a rallier of people that might be the underdog or, you know, the person that goes and brings the group together of misfits, right? So I, I think that there's still a lot of like, if you're a relative outsider trying to break in and if you're a you know non-technical female founder or whatever you've still got a lot of challenges ahead and just to be taken like seriously and I see a lot of um you know women founders will pitch something and it's the same but then the dude pitches it and they just get a lot more kind of resources and belief and that kind of thing so that's always there and I and I think that there's still a lot of you know if if people are parents and um you know, want to kind of have that, that there's still a lot of kind of um, 
subcontext and stuff that like people would would have there um that and it penalizes women like just even with um you know workload and emotional labor and all that kind of stuff around the house so I think it's it's harder but I think it also if you change the way that you work um and focus on you know product and really building meaningful growth it you don't have to be glued to your startup as much as you you might think you have to so you know the next question would be these underdogs or people who don't have a lot of exposure when they mm. begin with a startup world any tips for them how is it that you know yeah. anything that can make their journey a little easy or what is it that they can do to um, get funding or at least uh, yeah. you know become better in the process of doing I, so i think that's a fantastic question because i i am a misfit or i am an underdog or i still resonate with that and i still see it like a lot of our companies at addo like they'll they'll do really well but they'll get like no way near enough press or attention or they won't be on these lists so i think it I think it never goes away if you're that kind of person. So I think you have to reclaim the platform. If the platform isn't going to speak for you or allow you to be the platform, you have to own your platform. And that's one thing uh, that I did. And fortunately, I was very early on Twitter in Australia and then had, you know, tens and tens and thousands of followers because I was early. But that meant um, I could have my own voice and I was often became like the own independent voice in the ecosystem where people wanted me to quote in press and, you know, I would be writing articles and, you know, forming journalists and things like that. So having my own platform and audience and the fetch was also instrumental in that because it was almost the, the tech rag of Australia with what's going on. And so I didn't need anyone else's approval um, or access to their platform because I had my own platform. So you know, if not everyone can kind of go viral and be a social media influencer or whatever you want to call it. But if you start like a newsletter or just start showing up, you know, posting on Twitter, posting on LinkedIn, um, maybe building in public where you show what you're doing and like um, also spruiking yourself. Cause I always used to wait for people. I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, I share their stuff. Maybe they'll share mine. And it didn't really work. Right. Like this is, um, statistically like uh, you know women's stuff gets shared less right that like men will promote other men more and things like that just in terms of awareness so you just got to kind of hustle and and share things yourself and um, put yourself out there and that kind of thing because no one else is going to do it for you so you just have to get comfortable and I see a lot of founders even struggling to put their face out there you know they they and I'm like go get some headshots taken like put yourself out there like start sharing what you're doing Another good way to do that is to start a monthly update, email update that you would send to prospective investors and just people that are your supporters. Um, it just kind of keeps people um, get building that relationship. And, you know, they always say investors invest in lines, not dots. So, you know, just to know that if if you, you know, you won't automatically stand out um, straight away, but if someone kind of gets to know you over time and thinks, oh, that person's, you know, intelligent and trustworthy and like they're really building, they they see something in the future of the world that I'm intrigued by. Like that's the kind of thing. So it's kind of a bit of a slow process, but I think reclaiming your platform and creating your audience is a powerful technique that everyone should do no matter what industry. So 
how, how do you think that the U.S. system is different from the one in Australia? Though I think, you know, there are a lot of changes which have happened in the Australian ecosystem in the last um, few years as well. Like we are being really progressive, but then um, still, I guess we've not reached the level of U.S. yet. Yeah, no, I think that there's a deep um psychological discrepancy between Australians and Americans and Australians are you know a lot of the Australian population is actually very conservative they like to have the stability of you know job they like to invest in in stable you know things even though real estate hasn't been um that stable yet but they want a nice life and that kind of thing and uh you know that they they're open to meeting new people but they also have their own network already Whereas in after living in America, Americans are always open to building networks and helping anyone. So I had um, been in Australia, right, helping loads of people building that thing. And um, still people wouldn't, you know, they would be um, standoffish or they would, you know, that you'd have to kind of continually prove yourself. Whereas in I, I could literally rock up day one America, be like, this is what I'm building. This is what I want to do. And everyone would come to help you and, and you know, help you network and introduce you to people and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that openness in America is just very unique. And, you know, surprisingly, I was also co-founded the Aussie Founders Network over there and was part of what they call the Aussie Mafia community. Um, <laughs> but Australians overseas are very helpful too. So it's the Australians living in America are incredibly helpful and they were some of the most helpful people when I was building my startup. Um, but I think it's that kind of, you, it, you don't have to have any background. You could be, you know, the the 20-year-old grad who's dropped out or, you know, um, college dropout and have an idea and get somewhere. And I think in Australia it's just very different. It's very like, who are you? Where do you, you know, and it's funny because we we laugh at Americans are talking about where they go to school, but I do think that there's, you know, the Melbourne ecosystem, it's a, a lot of universities and government uh, run and identify strongly with, you know, oh, they're the Melbourne lot and RMIT lot, you know, so so I think that that's one of the beautiful things about the American ecosystem. Um, and also that they are completely okay or okay-ish with failure and starting again. So you'll see... Uh, founders go back and back and back and back and keep going whereas in Australia is still very um they're still very kind of uh, you know worried about failure and if you're you know applying for insurance or you're applying for um certain things if, if even if you have a, com- a company that's shut down or that's uh, um it was you know like a problematic or something it's, it looks bad on your record so that's why I think a lot of times that Australia is um, a bit too uh, focused on like jurisdiction and all this kind of stuff than than just focused on building great companies and product focus. So, so when you started Ato, what what was it that you had in mind, and why only female founders? Given that you know you're such a great mentor, why don't mm. uh, boys or men have the privilege of getting uh, mentored by Kate? Well, um, that's something I, you know, I'm considering changing from next year because originally we had funding from like government that was focused on uh, increasing like startup entrepreneurship for women. So that was like the KPI. So that's where our programs and things were designed for. I do believe that there are unique challenges that women face and just different conversations and 
you know, I think if you're a room full of women, women can speak and share very differently than if they are just in kind of a mixed cohort. Um, Sometimes I think they don't even get as much airtime, right, and um, can share as vulnerably and all that kind of stuff. So I think um, it was from my background, well, a lot of the challenges I faced um, were the challenges were around like womenhood. So I was like, I want to help people with this because I don't think that men have the same level of challenges. You know, as I was saying, if they're having a family, you know, usually they're not going to be the primary carer. Usually they might even have like, I know a lot of startup male startup CEOs that have like a full-time stay-at-home wife and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's a different challenge than if, you know, you're you're kind of expected to do that. Even the way that you present yourself, you know, how you wear your hair, like all of these like superficial things. I remember one time I was pitching some of my investors and I had my glasses on and they're like, oh, you've come on so much. And I'm like, it's just because I've got glasses on. I think they, you know, think of it differently. So there's just some specific things that I was like, I want to help women. And also statistically, you know, the the rates of funded entrepreneurship for women are appalling. So like, you know, if it's less than three or 2% of women getting back, like that seems like, well, that's a challenge. Let's help solve it. And, you know, even when I was starting out, people didn't even know how to say who was a female founder. They didn't even have an example. You know, you'd be like, who do you, which female founded companies do you like? And they would be like, oh, I don't know. And I'd see people recommending lists or, what I call manals, which is just all male panels, right? So it was just all the same kind of stuff where women weren't even given any airtime. And so that's what with Addo now, there's like 120 plus uh, founders just in a few years that are now doing amazing things. And it just shows you that it's not a pipeline problem. It's not, um, it's not that it's like an awareness uh, support problem. So I feel like there's another thousand, two thousand, ten thousand like female founders I could find. Uh, they just need to have the right platform, right? So, Agile's had some amazing female founders come out of the program. Mm-hmm. How do you make the female founders, uh, what do you say, fundable, or how do you make them startup ready? Yeah. So, I think the first thing is. Um, maybe they don't actually know what tech startup land is. So they've got a business idea, but they don't understand what would be attractive or scalable, like attractive to investors or scalable. So um, it's funny, I just saw some female founders who are starting an insurance product, for instance, get funded, and they are adding insurance, the option to purchase insurance at checkout. So say if I bought like a drink bottle or probably an expensive watch as an example, I can purchase um, portable insurance for it then and there. So that's something that, you know, investors love. But if you were just saying, oh, I'm doing a marketplace that helps people buy better insurance, that might not be the right angle. So sometimes it's just about understanding what the right product positioning or product market fit or the evolution is to to scale. Um and so I think it's, it starts with the idea. That's why it's great to start at the pre-accelerator or the super early pre-idea level because helping uh, founders to refine their idea and think bigger from day one and then helping them with just a bit of how to, you know, how to validate, how to do um, customer research, customer um, 
insight, collect customer insights, and then start with building an MVP and just kind of, you know, not spending too much time and money in advance to do that. And I think a lot of people outside the startup world have an idea, like they have an idea about how their idea should be built. And it's like, this is my idea. I'll go build this and then I'll get heaps of customers and then I'll be, you know, Melanie from Canva. And it's about breaking down how it doesn't really work like that. And there's a lot of blueprints and knowledge that people can kind of refer to. Um, And even just, you know, the database and say, which company did this and why did they fail and which company succeeded and how did they succeed? So having that knowledge and just sharing it and saying, here's, you know, a few companies you could model off or that you could use as a blueprint to just know how they've succeeded um, can really help. So I think there's there's a lot kind of to it, but um, also not being afraid to, um, what is it called? Like not a uh, challenge, you know, the word challenge, we often use like cheerleading and challenging, but uh, I think it's important to challenge people early on on their assumptions that they're making about their startup or their product and help break that down um, further so they can really invest the time um, up front in just figuring out what they're doing. And I think, again, it really helps sort people that have the stomach for entrepreneurship because in order to kind of go the full distance, it could be a 10, 20-year journey, you really need to want it and be hungry um, and someone, you know, uses the word like wannapreneurs or startup tourists, I think it's, an, you know, exciting to come and taste it out, you know, but ultimately many people might be better off employees where they're not taking the full risk and things like that. So there's a lot, lot you know, of kind of moving pieces to make a good founder. I mean, I can completely vouch for, you know, what you just said, because I remember when I came to you, I just had an idea and you sort of guided me and applied card throughout the whole process of, okay, do this next, do this next. Mm-hmm. And um, I even remember you telling us, so I don't like your name, whatever our previous name was. And I'm like, okay, now we have to come up with different names <laughs> now. And, you know, given that you had such a relevant um, experience with Cloud Peeps, mm-hmm. I mean, you were like amazing with the way you guided us. Yeah, but I think that's a testament to you being open to feedback. Like that's what I've always said um, to you as well. Like you will just go action things. And that is why I think it's a sign that you're going to succeed no matter what versus, you know, if I was like, oh, someone's got a really weird name, like they they pick a name that you can't <laughs> even Google because it's they've like chosen Apple or something ridiculous, yeah. right? And it's like then they get super defensive and don't want to change it and then they get stuck and don't take any action. So I think it's it's amazing that you've taken all these action steps. Well, thank you so much. Um, okay, now we've talking, uh, we've spoken about um, you know women getting married, they're having babies, um, you know they're working multiple jobs at the same mm-hmm. time, being a mother of two yourself and mm-hmm. managing such a busy community like Edo. What mm-hmm. does a day in your life look like? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we always talk about seasons, right? People have different seasons. Some seasons you go hard, like, and you you have that. And um, in a way, it's like sprints. So for me, one of the reasons why I designed Atto to be accelerator focused, although we have a monthly membership as well that's ongoing, is that it gives you the opportunity to do really hardcore, like sprints. So you might have a 12-week um, program and then you have a bit of time in between. So um, that allowed me to kind of actually had two ATO accelerators around giving birth and parental leave because there was running one a year. So 
it was a fantastic, flexible way for me to just say, okay, I'm going to take four months now to just, of course, I was still like emailing and accounts and all that stuff, but it allowed me to have that time and not feel that um, I wasn't online all the time and that kind of thing. So I think if you can design um, products around where you're at, you, you, you know, it's, it's kinder on you. Like I, I have, of course, not everyone, if you've just raised around a funding, you might, you know, not have as much flexibility and you've got to go hardcore. But I think it's about knowing, you know, that it's different seasons and sometimes you can, you know, put, you want to be full steam on the gas. And then other times you're like, okay, I'm going to go like mid pace now. Um, so that was one thing. And then also at the moment, just even COVID's changed so much of our lives, just uh, especially in Victoria, but there's been a lot of sickness as well. So I, I feel like at the moment with two, um, like even today, my husband and my youngest is open. Uh, she's home from daycare because they both have some sort of flu. And so it puts all your schedule out. You know, I, I didn't know if I could 100% commit today and that kind of thing. So it's it's about letting go a lot like you know um and just knowing that there's that um i think true belief like i i really want to um go super hardcore like kate style again like you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, i'm like thinking about all the things i want to do de- next and that kind of thing um and knowing that i you know being confident that i will have that time and i will be able to but for ne- right now in the moment it's about going okay well why don't I honor what I've got in the moment and things like that. So I think it's, um, and especially since you, you know, you go on LinkedIn and you go on all, go on this thing and you see so many people doing things that you really have to go focus on your, your own journey and what you need at that point in time. I think it's just so key. Um, especially if you're like, you know, it sounds, so uh, it's a word that you don't really want to put out there, but if you're a competitive person, like I'm an, I'm used to play sports, like I'm a competitive person. And I think, you know, we're always told like, you don't want to be competitive. You've got to be collaborative and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I'm like, no, I'm com- competitive. I want to do really good things and I want to win and all this kind of stuff. So uh, it can be frustrating when you don't have like a full, um, full time to do that. But I think it's about patience and that comes with age and just wisdom anyway. I think, you know, I've, I've said recently to someone and they were like, oh, that's so true, but do things what your 70 year old self will thank you for. Because if we think about, you know, ourselves as like 45 or, you know, some people at 30 or 50, you know, you're, you're like, I want to be the best in my career and I want to do this and that. And, you know, it's, it's all focused on just very short-term thinking. Whereas then if I think what would my 70-year-old self thank me for, I would want nice, kind, human children, like (laughs) children, you know, human beings um, who didn't have behavioral problems or were like independent. And so if it means I spend less time working at the moment and more time being hands-on raising them so they are happy, healthy people, then my 70-year-old self will benefit from that. Maybe the 40-year-old self will be, oh, I didn't get to where I wanted to be as fast, you know, but play the long game, basically. But I think, like, you know, they say everyone has their own journey. Some people, you know, get it early on and some, you know, hit it at 50 or 60. Yeah. Like the KFC owner started KFC, maybe I think in the late 60s. Yeah. So that's all fine. I think um, it's but- that's a really great thing to just, you know, pause on because, 
again, we think entrepreneurship, you know, 22, 25, you've got your one chance. And I did see um, being in startups for a while, I have seen a lot of people uh, really succeed, you know, become billionaires. Like this is a, this is the thing as yeah. well when you're in startups is it's not only like your friends are millionaires, they're actually billionaires. So yeah. it's like a whole <laughs> nother level. It's like, yeah. you're like, whoa. So, um, so I think it's just, you know, you see it all. But I've also seen um, people succeed or fail and fail and succeed and that's one thing just to share is that's the nature of startups so I think it's really important that you play the long game as well with relationships because if you all of a sudden find yourself at the top you know you'll be at the bottom again soon or you'll be at the top again you know it's it's fluid so always be kind to people so like you know I'll just add in what my partner keeps telling me all the time when I'm fussing over stuff that oh this has not happened this is mm-hmm. uh, still not achieved he always tells me focus let's focus on the product and we are going to you know hit all the yeah. milestones let's focus on the product yeah and so yeah I mean uh, it's like we we'll get there eventually yeah yeah exactly so, but having said so, uh, you know, coming to my next question, how mm. important is it to get experience early in life, given that you've had some amazing experience in three different, completely different countries? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's very important to get experience. And I'd probably say, um, depending on where you're at, like if you should go join a startup um, versus start your own, I think if you can go and work for a startup or two first, I worked for um, two or three different startups before starting my own as well and different stages and things like that and um, I just think you learn a lot from like almost what not to do sometimes by working in other cultures um, and especially if they're small startups I think it's really good because it exposes you to what it's really like to work at a startup I think if you're going to like Google Amazon Microsoft you're not really going to a startup. You, you, you're, you're a career, you're building a career, right? And I yeah. think there's two diff- different things. If you want to build a career, then I think go and optimize for salary, you know, deep experience. Like if you want to be a product marketing specialist, like there's really deep um, problems to solve with a lot of those companies. But if you actually want to be a founder, go get some scrappy experience first, working with like some you know, hopefully I can swear, shit show startup that you'll just be like, wow, that's like what it's really like. And um, from there, you you can kind of start your own. But I think the earlier you get started, the better. Um, and uh, I think you really have to let go of building a career, right? Like it's not about making your LinkedIn look great. Like it, it's about like getting as much experience as possible. And even I think about that now, like if I was ever to take a role working with someone else, I I wouldn't optimize for title or package. I know that's a place, a place of privilege in itself, but I would optimize for learning, right? I would learn the most um, and uh, be with the people that I respect the most and things like that. So um, I think that's, it's important to get those skills, but also you can get skills anywhere. So say if you want to get into VC, for instance, you don't necessarily have to go to, you know, PwC and study your MBA. Like a lot of those pathways are now broken down. Like you might go and work, like, as I said, at Bed Bath and & Table and then get, you know, go to a meetup and start learning around like crypto or NFTs or do deregulated finance. And then all of a sudden you meet like a, a partner and then they want to make you, you know, a, 
analyst or something. So you, you get a job like in a lot of different ways now. So um, again, just be open um, and also be open to change as well, like quickly, because yeah. if it doesn't work out and you're not happy or you want to do something else, you know, you can always quit. Like that was one thing that we used to say like, uh, 2010 when Tim Ferriss four hour work week was kind of like a bible to a lot of nomads but it's like you always think about what's the worst that can happen and the worst that can happen is you just go get a new job if you know like it's not actually that bad um you know once you let go and realize that hey I can just quit or I can find something else or you know also go get fired like I feel like you have to all get <laughs> redundant like I feel like yeah. that's also a good experience like go work somewhere and like it not work out and you're not the right fit and then um, get fired or let go or you know even this year we've seen a lot of startup layoffs and it's like yeah just it it builds character like build your resilience and character more than yeah. your resume so um, I'm not going to name the person but recently I met somebody um, who were fired or laid off um, yeah. because of COVID yeah and now they are at such an amazing position that mm maybe if they continued working they wouldn't have been there yeah I can totally imagine that and I was like wow I mean I understand how you might have felt when you got fired but now look at you yeah well the other thing I don't know if they are a woman but it's proven to show if you if you want to get promoted and earn more money as a woman you actually have to leave you don't get promoted and more money by staying like historically. So it's way easier to just quit and upsell yourself and leave to the next job than stay. Unfortunately, hopefully the world will change a bit more. And I guess, you know, starting early, one other thing it gives or it does for you is that a lot of times we think that we might like something or, you know, the uh, idea in our brain is very different. And suddenly we are like, oh, this is not for me. You know, this looks very different from the inside than from outside. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's something, you know, the external perception of something versus the internal reality Um, and knowing yourself well enough to know how you like to work. uh, Right. You know, because it can be something where, um, you might actually, the team might be toxic or, you know, it's, there's all these, these things, but people, it was like when I was a journalist, for instance, I got, I had the business card, you know, everyone would want a piece of you if you're a journalist and I'd get flown around like Australia, maybe even internationally to go into events and cover things. And, you know, it was like the, you know, traveling for work and all that was amazing. Um, but then as soon as you kind of don't have the the card and I started my startup, no one cared, you know, until you prove yourself again. So it's like, there's just a lot of things and a lot of journalists are like really underpaid and things like that, you know, so there's pros and cons. My God. So like we say, you've got to be in it to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now talking about mentors, uh, mm-hmm. like you've been such an important part of apply card as a mentor, what benefits do people who have mentors get in their startups or, you know, what keeps them ahead of others um, than the ones who don't have mentors? Yes. So um, what I will do, I'll divide it into mentors, advisors, and coaches, because um, the word mentor can be applied to, you know, all those things. But I I think mentors are are different. Um, I'd say more like, advisors I, I think about advisors and coaches and stuff like that 
because mentors to me implies that you know you can go on and like get a thousand different people giving you advice and things like that but I think having advisors is really key because especially if you're a solo founder as well um startups are just you get stuck all the time you get stuck on things you don't know what to do and you're kind of umming and ahhing and until you externalize the problem and talk to people about it even fellow founders I think fellow founders are some of the most amazing advisors and mentors like ever um and just going hey you know I've got this problem like we're running out of runway or I need to fire this person or we can't get, um, you know, long customer LTV and all this kind of stuff, just chatting to other people. And the first thing is to know that it's normal. Like that was one of the things as a founder for me, just to know all these things are normal and it's not me. Like I'm not, you know, it's not all my fault kind of thing. So I think it it helps contextualize where you're at and then also um, get introductions and, um, advice and all this stuff just to help solve it so it's like getting unstuck and keeping keeping moving um as as fast as possible is key so if you're kind of doing it alone and not talking to anyone or you think your your way is the only way like that is they're all signs that it's not you're not going to succeed like you just think about all the best founders they've always kind of taken in all that advice like a sponge and still kept true to what their vision is but they are moving and I think it's it's you know when the problem when someone's got a startup and they're working on it for five years and they're not launched or this has happened or that's happened kind of thing so I think they're key and I think there should be all different types of relationships in terms of how you structure these um, arrangements I think having a formal advisory board is amazing so if you had you know three four five people on a early stage advisory board not your board of directors but just okay. that advisory board and you incentivize people it's yeah. amazing good signal I think if you have a coach or an advisor that you pay as well like if they're the person it's in that's going to offer that value is great and I think having a bunch of founders and people that you can get to as well so I don't believe in the thing that you know oh you should never pay people to get advice because I think a lot of the time you can go to someone um and get get an answer if you structure that relationship formally got it okay now you know given that you run Addo mm-hmm. share a message for females who want to make it big but but are really afraid to start mm-hmm. if you okay. could share a message for them yeah I think um in in that case, and I obviously am not just saying this because I run Addo, but I feel like taking a step, like committing to a program, it's kind of like if you, you know, say you, you want to lose weight, like it's kind of a bad analogy, but you want to get fit and you just keep thinking about you're going to do it, you, you know, you're going to change the diet, you're going to like start working out at the gym but you make no commitment. So I feel like the first time like you might sign that membership or book a um, consultation with a nutritionist or, you know, just start documenting things like that first step is, is important, a commitment to yourself. So I feel like um, accelerator programs, pre-accelerator programs, joining something as a first step just to kind of go, I'm taking this seriously or I'm investing in this is great just to get started. Because I think if you don't do steps or formalize it, you know, you're just kind of still out there floating. And I think the more that you can have that structure and accountability, the better um, 
for making things happen. And I guess, you know, um, all the pre-accelerator and accelerator programs, one thing they do for us as founders is they teach you how to get in the process of learning because being a startup founder mm. is like lifelong learning, all yeah. different things. Yeah. And if you, can't, if you can't commit yourself to just those four, eight or 12 weeks, I don't know how you're going to do it. I, I mean, think, yeah, I think that is such a good point. Like if it's that commitment to learning, right, and commitment to doing, and if you can't uh, carve out the space to commit to to the program, or a you know, even if it's um, you know, I don't I don't think people should go program overload. Like I think a lot of programs aren't that valuable. You know, that's why I started Addo because I was like, what yeah. did you make valuable programs? But yeah. if you can't commit, then you might not be at the right stage in your life where you yeah. can do that and. I see sometimes people, you know, they might have gone through a divorce or something traumatic's happening in their life and they think, oh, great, now's the time for me to go start. Sometimes that works out. You do hear a lot of stories like that, but, you know, you've got to have that headspace. And if you don't have that headspace, um, it's not even about number of hours. It's just that, you know, and passion and desire to succeed. Um, you've, you've got yeah, to come that I'm open to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Okay, now. Uh, could you please elaborate on any top three things that startup founders, especially female startup founders, should focus on um, when they start building their own company? Okay, first of all, I would uh, focus on customers. So like, who are you selling to? What? How are you going to like price your products, um, business model, just everything about that? How's it going to work? How are you going to, um, who you know, how's it going to function? All the kind of nitty gritty bits and just customers, relationship building, early sales, you know. So first, sales and customers never goes wrong. Um, two, I would then um, look at lean ways to prototype your findings from your customers. So I would kind of label it product, but I think a lot of people get obsessed with feature lists and mapping out the beautiful, you know, product they want to get built and all this kind of stuff. And I would just um, start leanly prototyping against that customer insights. And third, I would start building a brand. So like your startup brand and that brand to, you know, get awareness and exposure, but also to start potentially recruiting. And also if you do want to raise that people start to know, oh, you're Kate from Addo, you know, it's like, people start to to know that brand. So it might be like speaking at meetups. It might be, you know, building in public, writing a newsletter, writing those updates, contributing to, to things just to get yourself out there and, uh, you know, general word thought leadership type stuff. But there, you, you can't go wrong with those things. And there are also things that you'll do it, you know, 100K revenue versus, you know, a billion revenue. Like they're, they they're always there. You know, if you talk to your customers, focus on product, as we're saying um, early um, and the right kind of things in the right order, product prioritization, and then just building, building brand. Okay. Awesome. Now um, for a lot of our friends who are wanting to raise or are, are in the process of raising, uh, what are the important things um, to focus on? So, I think first of all, to make it easier to raise, it's always good to have a good product, a good product story and traction. Um, most people, you know, they always say there's different types of raises. You can raise on reputation and 
that but I think having traction is is good so if it, it doesn't even have to be revenue if you are working on something like um a gym mobile app or you know a virtual gym or something but then you had like number of minutes someone the the users are spending on the app like you can tell a story um with those me- compelling metrics um and uh a commitment again you know you really need to commit to this I see a lot of founders that are like I want to raise money and they're still working and I'm like well by the time you go and take all these meetings like you won't have time for a job because it's going to be three to six months of like almost full-time meetings like how can, yeah. you can't raise if you can't be responsive so I think you have to naturally be in a position where you have traction you are committed to your startup and you've got a really good story. So that story, that that product market fit, all that kind of stuff. Even if you are pre-product market fit, you just you just know it. Um, and uh, then I think there's the mechanism of raising, which is you know setting up your CRM, understanding who's who in the market, what order you should target people, how they like to be pitched, what their investment thesis is, um, what what's compelling to them, all that kind of stuff. So it's like learning a lot about your investment market um no matter where you are um and uh, that's you know chatting to other founders about their experience with investors because say if you have something that is really compelling and you do end up raising then you're stuck with these investors so you want to make sure that you are stuck with the people that you want to be stuck with um and you know when you want money you're like great any money but when it's a couple of years in and you need to get them to sign off on something and you have a, you know, a negative investor relationship or you don't really respect them anymore or they don't respect you or whatever, or they don't believe in you, then, you know, you want to make sure that you're stuck <laughs> with the right people. Yeah, um, yeah. They've become a lot more sophisticated. When I raised, um, I had like a lot of um, super experienced like Silicon Valley style angels and then some kind of new uh, angels and um definitely the more experienced ones were were helpful because they had so much insight and understanding and things like that and sometimes they just knew when to you know not be super hands-on when you just want to focus on building a company so uh my advice would be try and be as compelling and as good as possible so you can pick the best investors as possible that you get stuck with on the journey as well Okay, so for at all, when you select founders, um, what's the selection process like? Is there anything particular that you're looking for in founders? Well, we're definitely looking for founders that are working in our areas of um, focus. So if you're, say, running an advertising agency, that's not the right fit for Atto because it's you're kind of running a services business. Um, and a lot of people, you know, would count themselves a female founder, entrepreneur, all that kind of stuff of those kind of businesses, but wouldn't really say the tech startup. Um, I would also not really look for businesses that are, um, you know, there's a lot of really good businesses like online courses and communities and e-commerce and that kind of thing. But it has to have um, a slant to it that could show that it's truly scalable and things like that. So um, first of all, it's making sure that they're working on the right kind of thing. But also we, we look at founders and they might be open, you know, they might be super ideal. And then also the just the kind of way they follow up. So if you ask for like a video or you ask for them to do things, uh, you know, and I used to be not a huge believer in protocol, but, you know, and be like, oh, whatever. But 
often you will miss out if you don't actually do the forms or do this or that, yeah. like you'll, you'll miss out. So it, it, for people that don't regard any kind of form of process, um, that's a bit of a red flag because it's like we get people that might submit an application and then they um, add a video that's like just a generic YouTube video of uh, oh, product, yeah. you know, like it's not. Uh, so it's it's not about production quality, but it's just about showing people read, like read and understand and can do things. And also the speed that they do things. So I think with entrepreneurs, you have to be digitally savvy to a certain extent, yeah. especially if you're a tech entrepreneur. So yeah. if you're like, oh, can you record a video or do you have a landing page or that kind of stuff? And if someone is so technically inept that they cannot, you know, record a video and upload it or put a landing page, it's not that they aren't promising. It's just that they need a lot more help and assistance than someone who's open to just learning. And I don't want that to sound the ages because often it could be, you know, that if you're Gen Z or whatever, you can do it. It's just, but I think it's not even about age. I think it's about people just wanting to focus and take that time to do it. And then also another red flag would be people who are trying everything. You know, they've signed up to the MBA, they've signed up to Addo, they're getting a new job, they're moving house. You know, it's like um, yeah. career learners. And, and running a startup school, it's it's funny because you get like people are obsessed sometimes with doing courses. But it, again, that's not what Addo is. Addo is about action. So it's not about the certification of the course. You know, it, yes, to tick it off, but it's it's not about collecting certificates and courses. It's about getting stuff done. Got it. Okay. Now, any parameters um, which a founder, um, you know, should, so like a tick book um, before approaching um, the investors that, okay, I'm done with these things. Now is a good time to reach out to investors. Um, there, I think creating a data room, which we could go into a bit, you know, another time, uh, basically. But yeah. that's always good just to get all your stuff. You know, if you want to raise money and you don't have, um, you know, you've not incorporated, you don't have any agreements and you don't have your safe note or your convertible note ready, then, you know, having a bit of stuff ready, you know, so you're prepared is helpful. You don't need to go and overkill, but just a deck and all that kind of stuff. So I just get those all ticked off. Um, and then practice telling your story, um, practice responding to questions which people are um, kind of, uh, you know, asking questions about your startup and you know the answers to. Just prepping as much as possible and then just getting out there, you know, and setting up the meetings. Got it. Okay. Now, before we get into, let's straight head into our rapid fire round then. So what advice will you give your 22-year-old self? My advice would be to take um, more risks earlier um, and, you know, travel as much as possible and do all the things you want to do uh, as young as possible, I would say. So go go do what you want to do and make it happen. Awesome. Okay. And you could just answer any one of these or all the three. Which are your favorite columns, blogs, or books to read? So at the moment, I like um, newsletters um, for kind of specific updates that's something that I'll always go to there's evergreen content on some blogs and things like that Um, I assume we're talking about work um, related but if it was personal I'd like actually old school magazines Um, so I have a few magazine subscriptions as well still awesome okay now um, in the recent times which is your favorite 
tech or technology um, piece that you're obsessed with? It could be a company, it could be a platform, anything. Right now, I'm actually enjoying a marketplace platform called HipCamp. So I know the founder back in San Francisco had been on it for, I think it's about eight years or something. But since we purchased a farm in the Mastin Ranges, I had listed uh, our farm on HipCamp. So I've been having campers and caravanners and people come and stay with us. So that's something, one of the reasons why I always loved um, technology were things that made your life different or impacted your life, products um, and that you actually used. And so while HipCamp is evergreen and it's not necessarily the hottest new um, you know, crypto or anything like that, it's just something that actually has been impacting my life day to day. Okay. And in the recent time, given that you're a mom of two, um, has, is there any other app which has made your life really easy? Well, it's funny because I feel like my girls go to daycare. So now I know all the, the daycare apps and, you know, look at the different product features. But um, I think that uh, one of the Australian kind of, uh, I think both of them are, but I've been interested to see Explore. They're like a Melbourne-based startup that have um, been making it easy to check in, do bookings, see what's happening with your kids at daycare and Story Park's another one. So um, they've been interesting just to see what's happening. I don't use as many apps uh, like because my girls are still young that have been um, like they're not really into iPads or anything yet. But if I was just going to say a general app that we use, we obviously use Netflix. So if they're ever watching like the Wiggles, you know, yeah. Netflix is probably the number one app we would use when it came to the children. Awesome. Okay. So uh, work from home or work from office? Oh, well, of course, work from home <laughs> or work from shed, garden shed as I am. Awesome. Okay. And uh, before we sign off, one key takeaway of your life that listeners should definitely know and learn about. Hmm. Uh, no, really. I guess, uh, you know, everyone's always got their, their behind the scenes as well. So I've had a really interesting um, history with like just a family and moving and things like that. And it's not always been smooth sailing. So I feel like you, you don't have to let your um, what happens personally define you, you know, that kind of thing. So you can yeah. always, you can always, it's not always having everything smooth, not, not everything is smooth sailing and you, you can get there anyway. So Awesome. Okay. So um, I'll just, maybe I'm just going to end it and yeah. we can just connect for two minutes after that. Okay. Um, cool. I guess that's it, folks. Um, we lo- we've learned so much from Kate today about the value that a great accelerator program like Aero can add in your startup journey. Having started and operated multiple massively successful businesses herself, nurturing young and budding entrepreneurs from an ideation stage to being up and running. Kate has done it all. Let us know in the comments your thoughts about today's podcast and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Together we can and we will make a positive difference. Till I see you next time. Thank you. Signing off.